All right, Romans chapter 12 tonight. Romans chapter 12. We are continuing through the book of Romans and to kind of sum up what we have seen so far, chapters 1 through 8, all about salvation. Paul just laying out crystal clear, leaving no room for doubt what the true gospel is, the true way of salvation and then we see not uh, not only that, but in 9 through 11, that God's salvation is so available that it includes even Israelites can be saved, is basically what he's showing in chapters 9 through 11, in spite of the fact that as a nation they are doomed and on their way to destruction and have been destroyed, by the way, uh, that as, uh, as individuals they could still be saved. And that's what we saw in chapters 9 through 11. And uh, nothing Paul... And so now, Paul is about to give instructions to believers. These are the chapters that you all really need. You all might have liked chapters 9 through 11, but that's just because you're carnal. Okay, You like when you hear other people get preached about. You like hearing me preach on the Jews and stuff like that. But now, it's you. Now, it's on you. Okay, Real hard preaching. Real hard preaching is when you're getting preached at, not when we're preaching on pe- at people that aren't in the room. Alright, so y'all, I don't know if y'all can actually handle hard preaching in this church, but that's what you're about to get tonight. We're going to, we're going to preach to you, but at the same time too, while I'm going to be preaching to you, it's going to not really be more of like preaching and just kind of telling you how it is. What I have to do, one of my jobs as a pastor tonight, and I got to get up here and I have to do some begging. Time to do some, and that's the title of the sermon tonight. It's time to do some begging. And here's the thing about the salvation that we just saw, that it is so good, it is so complete, it is so eternal, that I've now, you know, we've now covered everything about salvation. You all should be well aware of the fact that you are so saved that nothing can unsave you. You all understand that? You, you can't get unsaved. I, I can't threaten anybody with hell in this church. I can't revoke anyone's salvation. I, I don't have the power to do any of those things. And uh, he, and so what God's doing right here, or what Paul's doing, is he's showing God's will for believers. This is not legalism. Made up word, by the way. Be prepared for Sunday night. But legalism, uh, made up word. Listen, if you, if, if you don't think God has the right to tell you what to do, then you know, I recommend you, go, recommend you go find another church. Because we are going to tell you what God said you should do in this church. I'm going to, and that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to tell you what God said to do. But here's the thing. As a pastor, I have very limited authority. I can't make you do anything. All I can really do is basically get up here and beg. And that's what we see in verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that word beseech, we don't use it too much in our modern English, but it means to entreat or supplicate, to implore, to ask or pray with urgency. And when I'm going to be to all these things I'm going to be talking about tonight, I can't make anyone in this church do any of these things. I wish I could. I wish there was a way I could just get up here and just force all these things. I can't do it. You know what I can do? I can just get up and I can ask. I can beseech, I can beg, I can pray that you do all these things, but I can't make you do any of these things. But I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God, 
What God said in Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of a great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And understand, when it says to speak, exhort, and rebuke, I can only do that with my mouth. And it says to do it with all authority. That doesn't mean I have the right to come and use authority to like control what you do and to come in your homes. But I can, with authority, speak and say, hey, this is from the Scriptures. This is what God wants you to do. This is God's will for your life. You should be doing this. And so I can get up here and I can guilt trip you. I can beg. But at the end of the day, that's where my power stops. I don't have the ability to come in your home and make you do any of these things. But boy, let me tell you something. It sure would be nice if you all did these things that we're going to talk about. It would make our church a much better church. I've had businessmen who think they, you know, they're convinced they could pastor better than me because they ran a business. But you know what? Those guys have the privilege of doing, being able to say, you're fired. You know, they, they have the ability to do that kind of thing. Where me, my only power is please. That's all I can do. <laughs> I mean, what, what is, what has more power to it? Me saying pretty please or me threatening to take your livelihood away. So it's not the same thing. All right. Bless their, you know, immature little old backslidden hearts. But, you know, that's not the same thing. Not, not, not by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm just going to do what Paul did today. I'm going to talk about the things he talked about. I'm just going to see if I can't talk you all into doing some of this stuff. Okay. And if I could force you, I'd do it. I wish there was a verse in the Bible that said we can crack a whip and uh, use it on people who don't do these things, but I, I wasn't given that authority in the scriptures. So here's the thing. First thing, you should offer yourself up as a living sacrifice to God, meaning your life should be devoted to him. You, he should have first place. Now, this doesn't mean you can never have any fun. It doesn't mean you can't have a family and all those things. But we, you know, we can have fun. We can have a family. We can do things we can enjoy. We can pursue passions and things like that. But we always need to understand God comes first in everything. So when it comes to families, when it comes to having a wife, you know what? You shouldn't marry someone who's going to take you away from the things of God. You should marry someone who's going to help you when it comes to the things of God. It, by all means, you can have kids. I believe the Lord wants you to have kids. But you know what? You need to raise them the way God told you to raise them. You need to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. God wants you to be good husbands and good fathers. And you need to be doing these things. And so the way you present your life a living sacrifice. We're not telling you to go, we're not telling you to go kill yourself and sacrifice yourself that way. No. We're telling you to just be a living sacrifice, meaning every day of my life, I'm doing what God wants me to do. He takes first place. He takes priority. And I'm telling you, there's plenty of room for us to do some things we like. God's okay with us having things that we like, but you know what? We always give Him the first fruits of everything. He comes first in everything. I mean, give Him, you know, if, if you want to, just like you tithe your money, I mean, tithe your time, whatever, just always make him the priority. When it comes to, when it comes to your budget, I think you ought to put God's tenth first on that. That ought to be the first line item. When it comes to prioritizing your schedule, when it comes to prioritizing your week, you know what? I think it's good to give God the first day. I think you ought to get, I think you ought to make the things of God priority in your life, whether it be your daily schedule 
whether it be scheduling in Bible reading, prayer time. I'm not saying that has to be the first thing you do in the day, but it ought to be the most important thing on your schedule. It ought to be the thing that you prioritize above all things. God deserves that. That's what it means for your life to be a living sacrifice. You all should be doing those things. I can't make anyone do it. But boy, wouldn't this be a nice church to go to if everybody in this church was doing that type of thing? If we had just a bunch of people in the church doing that type of thing, it'd be pretty amazing. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. You know, it's funny, we can get up and we can read that, but don't you dare define that. You're going to get called a legalist by the people who happen to be conformed to the world. Interestingly enough. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We sh- you should no longer be living having or having a worldly, fleshly attitude about things. We need to prove what's good and right and what is God's will. You know, we should be against the trends of this world. We should be against... When we see the world uniting around something, we should probably get away from it. When the world is uniting around a clothing style, we probably want to avoid it. When they're uniting around a political movement, we probably want to run screaming from it. When they unite... Anytime the world all finds agreement on something, that's typically when we probably want to get away from it. You know why? Because our world is wicked. And we are not to be conformed to this world. And we need to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You say, well, what if the world unites around something good? Hey, I'll be surprised if it happens. But if it does, that's fine. You know, if the world wants to unite around being nice to kittens and, you know, you know, catching butterflies and stuff like that. I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. Go ahead and do it. But at the same time, uh, those typically aren't the agendas that they're pushing. It's usually things that are a little more sinister. And we need to stay away from that stuff. Verse 3. For I say that through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And in our search for the truth and in our growth, we should never have an arrogant attitude like we've arrived and we shouldn't, but we also shouldn't have an apathetic attitude like it doesn't really matter when it comes to doctrine. We need to take our walk with Christ seriously. We need to take doctrine seriously. But you know, when you consider all that we've seen going on, leading up to chapter 12 about salvation, I think it's pretty well established we have nothing to boast about in the fact that we're saved. I mean, you hear some people, you know, we, do, we get tired of hearing them call ethnicities the chosen people. I was like, we're chosen because we're saved and we're a faith. Okay, but can you try not to sound like you're bragging when you say it? Because if you look and see what it takes to be chosen, it's nothing to brag about. It's just about faith. That's all there is to it. Nothing to get arrogant about. Nothing to get lifted up about. There's Salvation ought to humble you. When we look at what the Bible teaches about salvation, it should humble you. But some people are arrogant about the fact that they're right about salvation. No, you ought to be humble about that. You ought to be saddened towards those who are wrong. And we don't want to be thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But we ought to be soberly. And so when it, comes to, when it comes to doctrine, we need to be ready to learn. But you know what? We ought to be slow to run in our mouths. We need, to be, we need to realize, hey, this kind of stuff is serious. We need to make sure we get it right. We also, we don't want to get lifted up with pride because we don't want to lock ourselves into a stupid position too. That happens with people a lot where they run their mouths so much that when they are shown the truth, they can't see it. Because they'd have to humble themselves. Because they've ran their mouths so much. 
So watch out for that. Watch out, uh, you know, and being too quick to just shoot off the mouth about these things. So Paul, he's about to show us one reason you don't really have any right to be careless in your walk with Christ. We ought to be sober about this. Because notice what it says. Because we, we have a lot of people today, they get saved, they even get into church, but it's just like, you know, who cares? You know, it's these things of God, not that big of a deal. Doctrine, not that big of a deal. Yeah, okay, yeah, this church I go to, they're a little off on salvation. Eh, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, the church I'm going to, they just hired a woman pastor, but yeah, what are you going to do? Don't get me going on that again. <laughs> but, no, we ought to take these things serious. When it comes to the things especially that we as individuals should be doing. Okay? We ought to be taking that very serious. I know the Bible says we ought to go soul winning, but you know, people in my church do. You know, there's people out there that will leave a church that doesn't have soul winning, yet they won't go soul winning in their church. Because it's like they want to go to a church that has soul winning. We had some people that left our church one time, or they, or they, did, they left another church, I'm sorry, they left another church in town because that church didn't have soul winning. And they started coming to our church because we had soul winning. You know how many times they went soul winning with us? Zero. And then they found out what we believe about end times and the Jews, and then they left. <laughs> and then just didn't go to church anywhere. So it you know, just shows people are really goofy about this stuff. But when it comes to the things you're supposed to do, you need to take it serious. Why? Because look at verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And if you are a member of this church, and if you're struggling spiritually, it will affect all of the church spiritually. And let me just say too, because we do, as a church, we want to be right with God. As a church, we need to be united. Unity is very important. And you know where you don't help us as a, as a Christian? If you are not right with God, and you are, uh, you are, you're not right spiritually, it does have a negative impact on the church. Here's where you don't help us. This is what people do. Well, you know, I don't want to be a hindrance to the church, so I'll just leave. Okay, so now we're just lacking the body part completely. You didn't help us at all. You know what you should do when you know something is wrong with you spiritually? You should get it right. And there's no reason you can't get these things right if you're saved. We are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sins. Romans chapter 8. After, we, after all the things that Christ conquered for us, we ought to have an attitude we can conquer anything through Christ. And so if you're struggling spiritually, you are not helping the church out by saying, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to move on. That's not help us. No, get right. Get right. You're a part of the body. I would rather have a finger that doesn't work very good than to not have a finger. I mean, I, you know, at least my hand would then look normal and people won't stare at it. And you know how many churches are struggling in certain areas and are lacking certain things? Sometimes because the part is absent. Sometimes just the part's not doing what it's supposed to do. You know, what you need to do is just get right. I, I wish as a pastor I could make you get right. I wish I could. And let me tell you, for, Pat, for a lot of pastors... They've gone beyond what the Bible has commanded. And as far as we're allowed to go is beg you. Okay? I mean, if I need to, I can get up here and get on my knees and face and cry. Uh, if that'll help, I'd probably do it if I thought it would work. But, you know, like I said some, some pastors, they use some pretty manipulative techniques. I could get an evangelist in here that knows how to get everybody crying. 
I could get him to get up here and preach something really convicting that'll have you all on the altar and recommit your life to the Lord and getting resaved and all that kind of stuff. I, I could get an evangelist to come in and do all that kind of stuff. I'm not very good at it. But there's evangelists out there that are real good at doing that kind of stuff. Do I need to do that? Is that, is that what we're going to have to do? Do I have to manipulate you? Do I have to get somebody to sing a real good emotional song that will really stir you up, get you crying? Do I have to tell you a sad story? Do I have to get one of these preachers in here that are touring the country telling everybody about a tragedy they went through in their life that finally got them to finally surrender to God? Do I need to make you think your kid's going to die before you're finally going to sell out for God? Hey, people are doing that. It's happening in churches all over America. You know, I don't like that kind of thing. Well, you know what? Stop tempting us to go into using those methods. Just do the things you're supposed to do. Just do the things the Bible says to do and then we don't have to manipulate. We don't have to do any of those things. I won't be tempted to go beyond what God said. All I can really do is just beseech you. And let me tell you, Peter Peter did the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, look at what he says. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the souls. What did, he, what did he do? He beseeched them. That's all he can do. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit your, And then he goes on, same thing. Paul says, Paul says a bunch more things, and then he goes to Romans 13 and talks about submitting to the higher powers. And don't worry, I believe in submitting to the higher powers where God gave them authority. Okay? Not in mask mandates. Okay? But... And we'll, we'll talk about, don't worry, we'll talk about that next week. But we, these, uh, he did the same thing. He's beseeching them. You need to do these things. You need to have a good testimony among the Gentiles. You need to have a good testimony in this community, in this area. Listen, everybody over at Casey's knows me. Everybody at Casey's knows who my kids are. Even the customers apparently know who my kids are. Chloe said they were over there the other day. And they didn't even know who the guy was. One of the customers was in his car and said, yeah, that's the pastor's daughters. I don't know who it was. She didn't know who it was. Everybody, I guess we're over there a lot. And you all are over there a lot. And they all know that people from our church go over there all the time. I better never, y'all better never lose it over there. You better never cuss anybody out over there. Even the one with pink hair, all right? Don't do, you know, don't do anything to them. Let's have a good testimony. Let's have our conversation honest among the Gentiles. Don't be shoplifting over there. Okay. Maybe the other cases, not, not, no, no. <laughs> don't do it anywhere. It, it, it's a, it's a bad testimony when you, if you do that kind of thing. And we need to make sure that we have, a, we, we need that good testimony. You are a part of this church. You represent this church. We need to have a good reputation. Okay. I don't know if you ever looked this up on the internet, but there's people out there saying stuff about us. It's not true. And the last thing we need to do is have some nut job in here proving them right. That's the last thing we need. We need that's why we need to be good. Because they're going to speak against us as evildoers. But the people who know us, the people who have been around us, they ought to have a very different testimony. And they do, by the way. They do. People who actually know us have a very different... Uh, they have very different things to say than internet clowns who like to share stuff about us all the time. Who've never been over here who are welcome to come here and visit us anytime just so we could throw them out when we see them. I know who some of them are. So, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, 
or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Every one of these things, we could preach messages just on each of these things. They're all so needed in the church. Have you ever gone to a church and maybe it wasn't real merciful? Maybe it's because whoever had the gift of mercy wasn't doing their job. Maybe it's because whoever had the gift of mercy, they decided to amputate themselves from the church instead of being a hindrance to the church. No, they should have gotten right with God. God brought them in to have that person. God didn't give that to me. Okay? You know, God, God probably gave it to somebody else. We need people who are gift, you know, uh, who, who have these gifts to use them. We don't need people who God blessed with the gift of giving. That's one of them. He that giveth. Last thing we need you doing is robbing God. <laughs> we need you giving. We, we need people doing all these things are important. And a lot of times churches are lacking, not because the pastor's bad. Pastor gets up there and begs all the time. The problem is that's all he can do. We've got to have, we've got to be a unit. Everybody needs to realize their role in the church and they need to get on board and they need to get on fire and they ought to do something with the gift that God has given them. And if you don't know what it is, come see me after church. I'll bet I can tell you what it is. I'll bet I can give you a few suggestions. I bet I can tell you some things you could do to probably help in the church. But don't come ask me if you're not going to do it. And here's the other thing too. I don't want to get sidetracked. Don't come ask me how you can help in the church. Only for when I give you something to do in the church, you get stressed out and overwhelmed with the responsibility and then just leave the church. That happens all the time. You know, you know why I don't want to give some people something to do? Because I'm afraid they'll leave the church when they get overwhelmed with the responsibility and pressures. Hey, there's, you know what? There's, there's pressure to ministry. There's difficulties. There's, there's heartache. There's things where, that are going to happen where you're going to be done wrong. And you know what happens a lot of times when that people experience that? They flop out and they quit. Stinks, man. I, I hate it. Last thing I want to do is tell somebody who tells me they want to serve the Lord. Just like, no, you can't do it. But at the same time, too, I, I don't, also don't want to tell them, yeah, you can serve the Lord, but I know you. You're going to get your feelings hurt and you're going to quit. And you're going to get embarrassed and you're going to leave. I don't want to tell, I don't want to tell you either of those things. So you know what I just get to do? Just beg all the time. That's all I get to do is just beg people to do the right thing. Beg you to help. Beg, beg you when you get your feelings hurt to forgive and just move on and keep going. That's all, that's all we can do. Just beg. Just begging, begging, begging. That's all we do. So the preacher's always begging for money. Well, I beg for everything. I mean, it's just, that's, all, that's all we do. But you, you, know, you beg for help. You beg for people to live godly and be decent and be kind. Hey, you know, it doesn't cost any money to be nice. It doesn't cost any money to be friendly. A lot of these things that we're called to do, they don't cost, it doesn't cost any money at all. It doesn't even take a lot of talent to do a lot of these things. Just about being obedient. All of these things are so needed in a church. And so what we're about to see happen here now is Paul, just he, he's, he's given a bunch of different things that we all need to keep in mind as Christians in a church. And so verse 9, okay, these are all mindsets that everyone needs to have. Very important. Uh, we, we talked about that a little bit Sunday, just kind of what our mindset should be. We need to make sure we have our thinking right. We need to be renewed in this area. And so he goes and kind of hits some several random things here. And he says, first off, let love be without dissimulation. 
abhor that which evil is evil, cleave to that which is good. And dissimulation or love being without dissimulation means it should be without hypocrisy or unfeigned. It shouldn't be something that's fake. It shouldn't be something that's deceptive. Okay? And all of you should be loving the people in the church, but you shouldn't be faking it. Okay? Don't even bother doing it if you're just going to fake it. Don't bother doing it. It's just pretend. It's just going to hurt that much more when you finally stab somebody in the back. Okay? I would rather get stabbed in the back by somebody who is always mean to me than somebody who I thought loved me. I would, that's what I would prefer. So listen, if you're planning on just hurting everybody in the church, why don't you just be open and honest about it from the beginning? <laughs> but that's not how people do it. A lot of times their love is with dissimulation. It's hypocrisy. It's fake. They pretend. That's not how it should be. We ought to have real, genuine love for the brethren. We ought to abhor that which is evil. We ought to hate evil things and want nothing to do with it. You all should like it. You all should get excited when I'm up here calling out evil in the world. You, 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 all, you ought to like that kind of thing. I don't know, Pastor. You know, that makes people uncomfortable. I don't know if you ought to preach that way. You know, we might hurt somebody's feelings. Hey, you should be more worried about whether or not it's biblical or not. If it's biblical, if, if the Bible says it's evil, you know what? You ought to support the preaching against it. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't get up here preaching against homos and stuff and it's just, we hear crickets. That's not going to be good. I'm going to feel awkward. I'm going to look awkward. And then all the homos that always get offended by my preaching, even his church doesn't agree with them. No. When you hear me slamming the queers, they ought to hear people getting excited. And they get super offended when they do. It always makes them mad. Okay? You know, and if, if you know, so just, just keep that in mind. You can, contri- you can contribute to aggravating them. And don't worry, nobody will know it's you when they hear you shouting, you know, clapping, whatever, you know, running the glory lap. Well, run the glory lap, they might see it. But either way, just, uh, you know, we ought to abhor that which is evil. And, you know, it shouldn't be fake. You ought to really hate evil. You ought to cleave to that which is good. When you find out about something good, when you hear good, when you learn good, you ought to hang on to that. So I'm not letting go of this. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to compromise on this. I'm going to hang on to this. This is good stuff. And it, it's sad how many people, you know, you'll, you'll get all this praise and support. You know, we do, we do, we get a, a lot of praise and support, verbally speaking, you know, for the stands that we take on a lot of things. But then at the same time, too, it's like, you know, why don't you people put your money where your mouth is? You know, if you really are for this kind of thing, why aren't you in a church that teaches this kind of thing and preaches this kind of thing? Why don't you why don't you get involved? Why don't you get in the battle? And then sometimes, too, they even, you know, I'm going to come to this church. You know, you guys stand for this and this. and You guys are the only church that stands for that. And then you get your feelings hurt one time, you know, and then all of a sudden, now that Zionist church isn't so bad anymore. It's like, come on. Support us. Help us out here. It shouldn't be that, diff- it shouldn't be that difficult, but it is for a lot of people. You need to cleave to that which is good. It's amazing how quick we will let go of things. It's amazing how many people, they're hardcore soul owners, but then they get out of this church and then they're not hardcore soul owners anymore. Come on, I thought you guys were about the hardcore soul owning churches. How about we... How about we stay with it? How about we support those who are doing it right? He says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not only should we have good thoughts towards our church family, 
but we should be doing good things for them. And let me tell you, we all need to do a better job of looking after each other. That's an important thing to do. We ought to be looking out for each other as a church. And you know, one art many Christians never learn is the art and that of and this is a, this is a big problem. But we need to learn how to hear something negative without it affecting us negatively. One of the things that we see in a lot of churches today is whenever somebody is hurting, let's say somebody in the church gets their feelings hurt or whatever. Okay, and listen, I know that sounds terrible. I got their feelings hurt. Listen, when your feelings get hurt it hurts your feelings. Does that make sense? I know we make fun of people for getting their feelings hurt, but it hurts, okay? Y'all probably wouldn't laugh at me. You might if I, you know, got my, hit my finger with a hammer and I screamed. That hurts. So yeah, I screamed. When your feelings get hurt, you got hurt, okay? Now, some people's feelings get hurt easier than others. But either way, it hurts just the same. And you know, and, and unfortunately, because most Christians aren't strong enough to hear something negative about somebody or something without it negatively affecting them. We've kind of created a culture in churches where we don't want everyone, anybody talking about anything. And, and that's not really healthy either. Because, for example, let's say Brother Aaron, you know, he, I heard, let's say I heard his feelings. Okay? It's, it would, it, what needs to happen is he needs to talk to somebody and somebody needs to love him enough, somebody needs to be strong enough to tell him in a kind and loving way, hey, deal with it, man. Toughen up. Come on, Nancy. You know, just, you know, and and if you have a good relationship with him, you can do that kind of thing. Here's the problem. In most churches today, the people aren't strong enough to do that kind of thing. So when Aaron gets his feelings hurt, he doesn't have anyone to take it to who's strong enough to handle it in a good way. And tip, and because we've kind of created an environment where nobody can talk about anything, what he's going to end up probably doing is going to the most wicked person in the church to, because where he knows he can get away with talking negatively without any kind of rebuke or anything. And let me tell you, if you're the, that person that everybody comes to with all their problems, a lot of times it's probably because you're the most wicked person in the church. And they know you will never tell them off and tell them what they need to hear. And the truth is, you know, he does need to talk to somebody, but he needs people who will set him straight, who will get him right. But the problem is, if he does do that, and he talks to somebody else who's weak, now they're thinking negatively about me too, and it's just kind of spreading. And that's, that's, not, a good, that's not a good thing. He needs to get things right. He needs to be encouraged to go. And hey, whoever you have a problem with, you need to go get things right. But that's how cliques often get formed in the church and division gets going in the church. You know, Aaron's saying something negative about Brother Chris and, you know, and he told Brother Jason about it. And Brother Jason was fine with Brother Chris, but now that he's learned all this stuff from Brother Aaron, now he doesn't know what he thinks about Brother Chris anymore. And it's just, and it's, it's spreading. He did nothing to help Aaron. And all Aaron did was negatively affected him towards Brother Chris and it's just problem spread. That's not good. That's not good. We need people in the church that when somebody is in that situation, they will get the help they need. They will hear the things they need to hear. It's all, it will help too if they don't have that wicked person to go to that's always there to hear everyone's cries and tell them you're good and everybody else is bad. Those people, uh, the devil, he always puts them in every church. He puts, he puts them in every church, but they, uh, it's, it's not a good thing. We need to make sure 
We need to make sure that we look out, we help each other. Verse 11 says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. People in this church ought to be good workers. Okay, if we ever accidentally knock on your boss's door, oh man, that's where you know, this guy I know who goes to your church. He's the laziest worker I've got. You know that that shouldn't be the testimony. No, it ought, you ought to have a positive testimony. You're somebody who you're not slothful. You're not somebody who's ripping people off. You're somebody who you're a hard, diligent worker. You're fervent in spirit. I mean, you're that guy that's working hard, like you're serving the Lord, which is what we've been called to do in many other places. We're not going to go to all the places. But many of these things Paul's briefly mentioning in here, you can find several other places in, in, in several of his other letters where he told them to do the same things. Paul preaches stuff in every church. Because every church needs these things. He says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Please don't be a negative, Nancy. Please. Hey, I, I, listen, I know times are tough. I know it's 100,000 degrees outside right now. I know there's challenges. I know the economy is bad. I know Joe Biden has dementia. I know they're going to do all... You know, but I, I, I know all that stuff. But you know what? Hey, can we have a positive attitude around here? Can, you know, When we're singing songs about the blood of Christ, can we not look like we're going through the apocalypse? <laughs> I mean, can we, you know, can, we, can we be more rejoicing? You know, can we be... Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Can we can we keep doing the things when things are tough? Doing the things that we were doing when things were good, when things are tough? That's when it really matters. You know, who cares if you're doing the right thing when everybody's doing the right thing? Who cares if you're doing the right thing when it's when you're just on the bandwagon with everyone else? How about we do the right thing when it's not popular, when it's not cool? That's what that's when we need to do these things. He says in verse 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. We always need givers. We need them. People have needs. We ought to be, again, we ought to be looking out. If somebody in our church has a need, you know, people don't, no, people don't want to beg. Okay? All right. Pastors, we have to be professional beggars. That's what I'm doing tonight. Begging. But, you know, but I'm talking, this is talking about material stuff. People don't want to do that. But we ought to look out for each other. We ought to try to help each other out. If you've got a skill, if you've got an ability to help somebody, you know, you ought, you ought to do that kind of thing. It's important. And let me tell you, too, when it comes to a lot of things of giving, even when it just comes to stuff like labor, you know, if somebody's moving, doing a project on their house, you know, help is always a blessing. Okay. If you're, if you're moving stuff, I mean, every box a friend moves for you is a box that you don't have to move. That is a blessing. But let me tell you something. I know this from experience as somebody who's helped people. I know this from experience as somebody who has been helped. Sometimes the biggest blessing is just the fact that there was help. The fact that there was a lot of help. You know what, you know what it tells everybody? I have friends. That makes people feel good. When, that, when somebody has something that needs to be done for them and a lot of people want to help out, they're usually more thrilled by the fact that they know they have friends than the fact that they didn't have to do that much work. And that's, that's just the bonus that you didn't have to do as much work. The fact that people were there, it means a lot. I don't think people realize, I don't think most Christians realize their ability that they have to have an impact, a positive impact on people. Very important. It says, uh, verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. And this applies to those who curse you, 
within the church and also outside of the church. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Don't rain on people's parade. And you know what? Not only should you not rain on people's parade when something good's going on, can you try not to outdo their tragedy when they're going through something hard? Listen, if somebody comes to you and says, I'm going through a real problem right now, I got this going, oh, you should see my problems. They're way worse than yours. No, hey, they came to you first. So guess what? You get to listen, they get to complain. That's how it works. Have you ever had that person they can always one-up you in whatever challenge they have, whatever problem they have? There's always somebody that's got, yeah, I mean, no matter what, their tragedy is always worse. Hey, my wife, there, there's somebody on social media she follows. She's always complaining to me because anytime somebody posts about a tragedy that they're going through, there's always this one person that's on there who has it worse. Nobody here in the church. Nobody here in the, don't, don't, but they, they, they just always, their tragedy is worse than everyone else's. I mean, their life is just a constant country music song. And they are just constantly singing the blues, whatever. You know, and when somebody comes along and they are going through something, you know what? And they think it's the worst tragedy in the world. Let it be the worst tragedy in the world. You know, comfort them. Weep with them that weep. It says in verse 16, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't be somebody who only wants to talk about the deep things of the Bible because you're so smart and you know so much Bible. Let me tell you, we should be ready and we should be anxious to talk with people about things that are elementary to us. We should make a big deal about them. That new, that person who gets saved and everything's new to them and they're just learning things and they want to talk about all this elementary stuff that you all, you all know this stuff frontwards and backwards. But they're excited about it because they're just learning about it. You know what? Get excited when they're excited about the conversation. You talk about it when they're like, man, look what I found in the Bible. Look at this verse. This shows that you can never lose your salvation. I, I, knew, I already knew it, but I, didn't, I never knew it was this clear. Don't say, dude, I've been using that verse forever. No. It's like, man, that's a good find. Wow, yeah, sure enough. That's what that's saying. That's good. I'm glad you picked that out. I'm, I'm glad you saw that. You don't, have to, you don't have to tell them I've known that. pastor's been preaching about that forever. No, he discovered it. He found it. Hey, keep digging. I'll bet you could find more proof in the Bible you can never lose your salvation. You don't motivate them. You condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Ah, oh, man, we got, there's that new group of Christians over there. Their conversations are boring. I'm going to go over with this, this group over here that's talking about that antelodomina and the hominodomina and all that stuff. And if you don't know what that is, I'll tell you about that Sunday night. All right? <laughs> you know, talking about all these deep theological terms. You know, they're, they're all, they've all finally figured out the hypostatic union and how all that works. That's what I, I want to talk about. No. You know what? That crowd's not even saved, okay? Just that, they're, they're, they're just a bunch of, just a, a Calvinist clowns just greeking out over dumb stuff, trying to make themselves look smart, and they're, they're, uh, they're not worth hanging around. Don't, but yeah, don't be that person who just, you know, you're too smart to talk about some of the more elementary things. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And evil is always going to happen and it usually spreads. We need to be the place where evil stops. When bad is done to us, it stops with us. Somebody rips you off, you don't go rip somebody else off. That's what the world does. No, it stops with you. Verse 18. If it, I need this verse all the time. If it be possible, 
And I'm so glad it said that too. Because there's a lot of times when I was like, I don't think it was possible. I tried, but this wasn't one of those times when it was possible. But if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If it's possible. We're trying, but it's not always possible. Alright, so we, we got a disclaimer there. But we shouldn't be looking for a fight. Plenty of fights are going to come on our own. It's going to happen. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but in, in reality, this has already been covered actually a few different times. So Paul's just kind of emphasizing it and hitting it from every angle because you're going to need this. Now, notice what it says, verse 14. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Wouldn't we put those in the same category? He's kind of being repetitive here. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. What would that else that be? Recompensing evil for evil. You know, or, or even not even evil for evil, but just taking care of evil with, you know, with good. God said not to do that. Why? Because vengeance belongs to Him. So, what do we do with those who treat us wrong? I mean, I would have liked some, a little more of a violent verse next, but, you know, what we got is, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul's actually quoting Proverbs right here. Proverbs 25, 21 says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Now, what does that mean to heap coals of fire upon their head? Well, the skinny jean, limp wrist crowd, they, the interpretation they came up with is, you know, back in the Bible days, what they would often do at night when the fire would go out, it would be hard to get... Uh, fire going again so they would go over their neighbor's house with a hot pan they would carry around in their head and they would ask if they could have some coals from their fire to put in theirs to get the fire going and basically what the, you know paul's telling them just heap coals of fire just give them a whole bunch that's so nice uh, that don't sound right that doesn't that, that there's nothing satisfying about that at all what does it actually mean well if we consider the fact that Paul said in verse 19, vengeance. Because again, this isn't rendering evil for evil. No, evil's been done to you and now justice needs to be done. Okay? But God does not want us delivering out the justice. God doesn't want us delivering vengeance. God said, that's mine. So understand that heaping coals of fire upon his head, I think it's judgment. I just think you're adding judgment. To them, when God sees someone do evil to you, God does not appreciate it. And then when God sees you doing good in return to that person for evil, you know what they're doing? They're heaping up judgment on their heads. I think the coals of fire is just like judgment, fire and brimstone. And the skinny jean crowd, they scoff at that. They laugh. These people, they don't know nothing about Jewish, you know, history and, you know, Jewish customs and all those things. And they just want to see bad things happen to their enemies. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I, you know, I think that's okay as long as we let God deal with it. Okay, I would prefer to deal with it. <laughs> but God said, no, let me take care of them. And I'm telling you, heaping coals of fire upon his head, it means they're, they're, they're going to get burned. That's what it means. 
And so if you really want to burn people who've done you wrong, it's disappointing. Do good in return. And, oh, no, that's not wrong. You know, that's not right. Because, you know, then Christians are going to have this attitude. I'm going to do good to them just so God gets them even more. I don't think that's wrong. <laughs> I mean, what would, what would be better? Me getting vengeance myself? Listen, you know, whatever it takes to motivate you to do right, do it. And you know what? Sometimes my motivation to be nice to people is so God will get them even better. It really is. And let me tell you something. I can say from experience, I, there have been many times in my life where people have done me wrong and I have plotted all these wonderful ways I could take care of them and I've not done those things. I've given it over to God and God dealt with them way harsher than any of the things that I imagined. I can say that has happened many times in my life where, I mean, shortly after people done me wrong and I chose to give it to God, things happen to them that I couldn't have made happen to them if I had tried. And sometimes it doesn't happen in a horrible way. I had a manager one time that I prayed the Lord would get rid of because he was making my job miserable and it was negatively affecting me. And I did, I prayed, I, we, I prayed in church. I said, we need to pray or get rid of this manager. And God got rid of him. You know how? Got him transferred to Hawaii. Hey, <laughs> you know, Prayer was answered. I was kind of hoping to be a little more negative. You get fired or something like that. But, you know, either way, you know, God took care of me and that guy got transferred to Hawaii. I mean, you know, so uh, I probably should have been a little more specific. <laughs> but, but, you know, God might do it that way. You know, at, the, at the end of the day, was I wanting my situation to get better or was I wanting my enemy to suffer? I was kind of wanting my enemy to suffer. But you know what God did do? God fixed my situation. Because part of it was motivate, motivated by good. And so, uh, you know, just keep those things in mind. Just let God take care of your enemies. And you know what? I don't know. That was several years ago. Maybe he's been fired since then. Maybe he lived in Maui. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. God probably won't tell me. And God probably won't let me know. I wonder if they have a distribution center in Maui. I don't know. But I'll, I'll have to look into that. But... but. But he says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. All of these things that were mentioned, there's a lot of different things. So you could preach messages on every one of these things, but all of these are very important for every Christian because we are living in a time where iniquity abounds, the love of many is waxing cold, things just keep getting worse and worse, and we need God's people to be a force for good in the world. And if all of you are saved, you know what? then you need to do these things if we're going to turn the tide. If we're actually going to change things, we've got to get saved people being obedient to God. I'm glad you all are saved. But just being saved isn't going to turn the tide. You've got to be obedient to God. We've got to be doing good. We've got to be doing right. And so, can't make any of you all do any of this. Can't make you all listen to what I preach tonight. But I'm asking you, can you all please... I beseech you, pray, take these things serious. All the stuff we're going to talk about in the rest of Romans, can you internalize these things? Can you put them into practice so we can be a good church? I don't want to be a church that just has a good doctrinal statement. I want to be a church where the people live the doctrine of the church. That's better. That's way better. Let's do that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chapter and the instruction that it gives us. I pray you'll help each of us 
Lord, to take these things to heart, to take them serious, and to do these things for you. And I pray, Lord, that we will be a shining light in this church, uh, in this community. I pray that we'll uh, be a help to turn the tide in this country and that we will be a force for good in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.